Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is August 25th, 2022. We continue our series, Lesson 33, Kingdom Life. You know, the cross of Jesus Christ is beyond any doubt one of the most paramount events and significant facts of all human history and continues even more than 2,000 years later it powerfully impacts all of mankind the shed blood of Jesus on the cross at Calvary was God's provision for the remission of sin and apart from the cross there is no forgiveness for man's sin it's only through the blood on the cross however The resurrection of Jesus Christ is of equal importance as the cross. There are many sections of Christianity. I'll call them sections because it's not necessarily a denominational thing. But there are many parts of Christianity that emphasize the cross all the time but never mention the resurrection. And The death of Jesus on the cross, it is imperative for the forgiveness of sin, but the resurrection of Jesus is imperative for the overcoming of sin. It's worthy of meditating to see provision for mankind to be redeemed from the penalty of sin was by the cross, but provision is made for man to be redeemed from the practice of sinful living by the resurrection. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the church sometimes so emphasizes the past event of the cross and forgiveness that it forgets the resurrection. And what does that mean? How does that impact us today? See, the resurrection is what establishes abundant living, abundant life. It's the the act that, in one sense, proves the words of Jesus. If he would have just died on the cross and remained dead, there would always be doubt, well, did he really? Did he really forgive sins? He said that and he died, but how do I know? But the resurrection is proof. It's proof of everything that he did and said. But more than that, when he rose, there was his promise of resurrection life for you and I. And this goes into how we live. Because if we attempt to 
live life ourselves without sin, we only end up in frustration. See, it's one thing to say you're forgiven, but how do I get free from the sin that continually harasses me? How do I get free from this flesh that has a hold of me? Where is the victory? Well, the victory was in the resurrection. That's why there's scriptures that says, death, where is your sting? Jesus defeated death in the resurrection. And if we attempt to externally apply laws to our life, uh, we never accomplish holiness. Holiness is accomplished, A, through the cleansing of the forgiveness and payment of the death, but also the empowerment that accompanies in the resurrection. Empowerment for life. Empowerment to live a resurrected life. Law leads to death, and ultimately the law leads everyone to the cross. But it's the resurrection that leads us to a spirit-filled life. It's the resurrection that leads us to be led by and to live by the Spirit of God. Galatians 3, 23-26 says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Notice in that scripture, it's talking about what? You know, before we came to faith, before we came to believe in Jesus, believe that we've been forgiven of our sins, the law guarded us. It was, it was our guard. It was our tutor. It's the thing that brought us to the cross. We need to be saved. We need a savior. I can't get rid of this sin. And, that's, and the law was always there to tell you what sin was. You know, let us know that we're not perfect. That's what the law does. It's our tutor. And it brings us to the foot of the cross that we need forgiveness. We need someone to make payment for our sin. But when Jesus was raised, when we were suddenly justified by what he did on the cross, when he provided that, after that, after that, suddenly we become heirs with Christ. We can now live by the Spirit. That's why we look at scriptures that talk about, it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. I am crucified with Christ. Um, Galatians 2.20 The Apostle Paul and other first century disciples they lived firsthand this adventure of a resurrection life in Christ. And they saw, they, they wanted to be worthy of that resurrection life. They wanted to experience what it was that Christ had for them. And then the church went through a period of darkness. That's why it's called the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages. And then there was a period of reformation. But during this reformation, there was sort of a generic view that all good things only come in heaven after death. And this view was many times in the church 
primarily because life was so hard during this time. Even in this period of Reformation, life life was very difficult. There was large persecutions. And so it was easy to understand why this generic view that, well, things will just be better in heaven. You'll, you can have an abundant life in heaven. But is that really what the resurrection is about? Is that really why Christ rose? And the Apostle Paul really addresses this issue. If we look in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be looking through verses 5 through 12, um, I'm going to chop up this a little bit. I'm not going to go through all those passages at once, just a little bit at a time. Let's look at like verses 5 through 7. It says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. Let's, let's stop and highlight some things through here. Paul says that he is a Pharisee. And he is zealous. How zealous he's persecuting the church. We need to understand exactly what he says when he says, I was a Pharisee. What was a Pharisee? Well, they were a Jewish sect uh, that existed during the time of Christ. The word Pharisee comes from the Greek word Pharisaos, which means exclusively religious separatist. So when a person claims to be a Pharisee, he was saying he was an exclusively religious separatist. It also gets its origin from the Hebrew word parash, which is uh, the root word of that means literally to separate, to disperse. Figuratively, it can also mean uh, to wound, scatter, declare distinctively, and sting. Think about that. To wound, to scatter, to declare distinctively, to sting. So this separation of dispersion, this idea in Hebrew, which translated into the Greek, becomes exclusively religious separatist. See, that was different from the Sadducees. That was another group. The Sadducees did not believe in supernatural anything. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or demons. They didn't believe in any of the miracles of the Old Testament. That was just all a story to them. And therefore, it was about the here and now. And that's why they were extremely political. That's why they sided with the Romans. They also tended, because of these beliefs, they tended to centralize themselves. You found more Sadducees in cities like Jerusalem. That's where most of them lived, although not all of them. Uh, but they stayed in urban centers. And because of their non-belief in the supernatural, they tended to be very liberal as in adopting the ways of the Romans and the world. While the Pharisees, being this exclusively religious and separatist, were considered um, uh, of the people. They, they believed the people should be taught. They lived out in small Villages. That's why when Jesus went to any synagogue in any little town in anywhere in Israel, there was always a Pharisee because they believed 
and getting out and teaching the word and and being amongst the people. Whereas in the Sadducees, because they they centered, they also tended to be more the elite, rich class um, of the day. But Paul says he was a Pharisee, so he was this zealous religious separatist. And how zealous was he? Well, he said he was persecuting the church, which is the believers of Christ. And, you know, how would he mean by persecute? It wasn't just that he was being mean. He was arresting and killing them. He was legally going to arrest and kill them for their beliefs. And he considered himself blameless when it came to keeping the law. And then Paul says that all these things he considers lost, lost for Christ. Before I get into why he considered it loss, let's look at something Jesus actually said. Mark chapter 12, and I want to look at verse 24, but for context, I'm going to look at verse 23 and 25, and Jesus is arguing with some Sadducees. These are people that don't believe in the supernatural stuff. And I'm not going to get into the whole argument of what he was talking about. I just wanted to highlight enough because they were talking about, well, if you marry this person and you die and then, and, and, and then, and then your brother takes the wife and then he dies another brother. And, and so verse 23, they, they were saying, therefore in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. 24, then Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, again, I'm not going to talk about their specific argument about, you know, the resurrection and brothers and things. But notice how Jesus responded to these Sadducees. He said, you're mistaken, because you don't do not know the scriptures. You do not know the power of God. So he told the, Pharise- the, the the Sadducees, you don't know Scripture and you don't know the power of God. Although Jesus was talking to Sadducees, and we know it's Sadducees because they didn't really believe in the resurrection. They were arguing the resurrection. But in fuller context, in the chapters that Jesus dealt with, he was dealing with both Pharisees and Sadducees. This was just the argument that came up and he says, you don't know the power of God, you don't know the Scriptures. In the very same way, that's what Paul is talking about when he says, but these things that were gained to me, what were gained to him, being a Pharisee, persecuting, being blameless in all those things that he thought were so important, he says were nothing, and he counted it loss for Christ. You know, why is that? Well, we're going to continue. We're going to continue reading. We're going to pick up in verse 8. It said, Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. I want to stop right there. Because Paul is beginning to emphasize that knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection, that, that this, is, this is a personal 
relational experience. And it's far superior to religion. It's far superior to his separatist religion of trying to keep the law. To know Christ. And when it's saying to know Christ, it's not talking about know like know about. I think there's a lot of Americans in this country that know about. And even in other countries, I mean, people that know about Jesus. But they do not know Jesus. You are not saved because you know about Jesus. That's one of the greatest crimes that are happening in our churches is that people know about Jesus, but they don't actually know him personally. And they're going to stand before him on the day of judgment without knowing the Lord. He's going to say, depart from me. I do not know you. He's not going to say, I don't know about you. Of course, God knows about you. And the whole world should know about him. But salvation comes through knowing him. You cannot have faith in him if you do not know him. And Paul says to know him, know the power of his resurrection. This is a, this is a personal experience. You know, and he had that on his conversion that happened on the road to Damascus. He was on his way to arrest and persecute Christians and he met Jesus and it was a radical experience. And he literally, in a way, experienced the resurrection of Jesus because he's like, who are you, Lord? And it's Jesus. Well, if you study Scripture, you know how old Paul was. You understand that Paul was alive and a student of Gamaliel. He was most likely at the trial of Jesus. He most likely saw the crucifixion. He was one of those many Pharisees condemning him to death. He wasn't one of the main guys. He was, as he said, a a student, an apprentice of Gamaliel. But he was no doubt there because once the resurrection happened later, um, which again, you know, Jesus rose from dead in three days. You know, he, he, he walked and talked with him for 40 days. Then you had the ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which was 50 days, 10 days after the ascension. You know, Paul was alive in this time and was seeing this type of stuff, but he was not a believer. But when he met Jesus on the road, and Jesus said, it's me, that I call that experiencing the resurrection. He's getting to see the resurrected Christ. And it was a very personal to him. And it totally changed him. In verse 8, when it says he considers all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. You know, that word excellence in Greek is upereko, which means excel, superior, superiority, superiority, excuse me. I'm not the greatest speaker. I do get tongue-tied. But it can also be translated as better, excellence or excellency, higher, supreme. The word knowledge is gnosis. It means knowing or by implication knowledge. So Paul is saying that knowing Christ is far superior. Knowing Christ, the knowledge of Christ, knowing Christ is superior to any other thing. That's why he says, I count all things lost to the excellence of knowing. It's superior. It's greater than any religion. 
or any other thing that mankind can concoct to do to, quote-unquote, earn your way to heaven. Knowing Christ is superior to that. And when he says knowing Christ, he's not talking about knowing about him. He's talking, and he's, ultimately, he's not even talking about knowing the cross, that for forgiveness was attained. His knowing is, I've met the resurrected Jesus. And knowing that changed everything. See, verse 9, when you look at verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, here he's beginning to seek righteousness that comes from God through faith. See, Paul Paul understood, I'm righteousness according to the law. I've kept the law. I've kept the law. I've done my due diligence. Now, ultimately, he was sort of self-deceived because no one can ultimately keep all the law. But sometimes we can delude ourselves because we get so caught up in the ritual and form we think we're keeping all the law, but really our heart isn't really with God. You know, we go, well, I never committed adultery. But Jesus said, well, yeah, but if you've looked and had lust, it's the same thing as adultery. You know, if you get mad at your brother, then you hate your brother. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. You know, here's Paul. He was so mad and angry at Christians for believing this Christ that he was arresting and killing them. He's a murderer. He has hatred in his heart. And, and, and these were things that... By the letter of the law, you may appear righteous, but before God, you're not. And Paul says this righteousness that's from God in faith is superior. It's superior to rituals and practice. And this gets into what I want to talk about, this idea of positional righteousness. Position. What do I mean by positional righteousness? You know, there's been an emphasis in the church about the teaching of positional righteousness. And positional righteousness has to do with your position in Christ. You know, Christ has died for me. Um, you know, he, he's, he's forgiven me of my sins. And, and, and so what is my position in him? Um, you know, the day I, I said, Jesus, please forgive my sins and save me. You know, he, he cleanses me from my sin. He's turned me from a, a sinner into a saint. He's made me holy. He's made me pure. I'm going to stand before him blameless. And there's all these, these great things. But then you go out into the world to live practically. And you're struggling with your flesh. And you may still have some sinful habits you're dealing with. And it's very easy to become depressed and go, well, how can this position thing, how, how can I'm struggling? How does it help me? And it's, and it's the, if you don't understand the resurrection, that Jesus, although the positional is true, but there's also a practical position. There's a practical righteousness that comes from experiencing the holiness of God. And this practical living, this is where we get into abundant life, comes through the resurrection. 
If all we ever know about is the positional, we struggle with sin and we begin to think that, you know, it's impossible and I'll just wait for the sweet by and by. And we don't get to experience when Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. How do I experience this abundant life? God, do I have to die and go to heaven? If you have to die to experience abundant living, then, you know, we, we should all crave death. We should all be suicidal to get to death. But that's but that's not true, suicide. We're not called to commit suicide. It's a sin. God wants us to live abundant life. He says he's come to give life abundantly. You know, what is this abundant life? What is this? It's a practical thing. It's something that is part of and provided by the resurrection. And we have to understand that we can't obtain holiness by trying to keep the law, but the power of the resurrected Christ within me by the Holy Spirit through faith provides and creates this power, a motivational force within us that produces a life that can begin to live in holiness. It It's the thing that motivates us to actually fulfill the will of God. It helps us to live righteously practically to make living in the kingdom of God a reality. It's not that we are suddenly perfect, but all of a sudden there's this power that is released within us that, as the scripture says, we go from glory to glory. That's exactly what we're doing. When I received the Lord, one of the immediate things that happened to me was the Lord delivered my mouth because I cussed so bad. I mean, I cussed so bad. I was joining a fraternity in college, and the fraternity during my pledging made me do five push-ups every time I said a cuss word. And you got to understand, fraternities aren't exactly like clean. They, they, they cuss too, but I was so bad that even they didn't want to hear me cuss anymore. And yet, when I gave my life to Christ, that was the first thing he delivered me of. It's like suddenly, and it was noticeable. Everyone noticed there's something that I didn't know one knew what was going on with me at that moment. But everyone knew why, because my speech changed. There was a change. Now I wasn't not I wasn't perfect then, I'm not perfect now. But the power of the resurrection was released into my life. And as we grow in Christ, intimately knowing Him, the more we grow in that knowledge, the more fully we get to experience the power of His resurrection. See, let's look at verses 10-12. through That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. And so we see here, Paul's talking about this experiencing, this, this living out the power of the resurrection. But notice he talks about not that he's already laid hold of the resurrection. You know, and, and I want to clear something up. He's not talking about striving to attain the resurrection. We can't strive to attain anything. 
It's been provided for by a cross. It's part of the finished work of the cross. The resurrection is the fruit of the finished work of Christ. So we can't strive. But what he is, quote, striving for is what? I want to live and know the Lord. I want to die to my old life and live in the new life. See, that's where the strive is, is dying to self. Because we don't, we don't want to die to ourselves. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. We want to have our own desires. We want to have our way. We want, we want to be selfish. We want these things. And the striving is, I've got to let that die. I've got to let that die. And I want to grab a hold of the forgiveness that he's provided. I want to, to live the life that he says, come live. And you know, when you get a hold of that, you, you want to run. You want to run. You want to grab hold of it. You, you don't, you don't want to let go because you are so motivated. It's like, this is a good thing. I've just, he's just picked me up out of the mud. How do I not want to run into his arms? How do I not want to run into this life? And it's, it's not a striving like you're, you're struggling. It's, it's a, I, I, I want to get to everything you have for me as fast as I can get there. I know we can say, well, you got to learn patience and we do, but when you, once you're free, you don't want to look back and go, Oh, I just want to go back and be chained again. I can't wait to eat garbage and mud again. No, you, 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 you want to, man, you want to run so far from that. And so the, the striving is, Oh man, I, I want to know you, Jesus. I want, I want to know more of your love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want more of your love. And you begin to, and as you do that, you begin to experience this relationship that begins to grow with the Lord. You begin to know them. When you found the person in life that you want to marry and you want to, want to get married and you love them, you, 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 you want to quote, run to be with them. You want to run to be in that life. You run to know them and to grow in your intimacy with them. And that's what Paul is talking about here is that, is that he's like, I haven't already obtained heaven. I haven't already obtained perfection, but I'm pressing on towards it. I'm not waiting for some sweet by and by moment. I'm moving to it now. And see, this gets into the idea that, you know, ultimately, uh, when you start talking about positional righteousness, this is our relational. It is the Spirit of God within us that is growing our relationship with Him. You know, we, we want to be connected uh, to the very throne of God. And that's through the Holy Spirit. He is our guarantee. He is our connection. And as the Holy Spirit lives in us, empowers us, with the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that resurrection power, that's the things, the power of the Spirit and that power of the resurrection in us that enables us to grow in our knowledge and to carry out the will and plan of God in our lives. Not just for heaven, but here on earth. Where our feet tread, that's where the kingdom is going because God is in us. It's not just 
saying, well, I, I'm, I'm righteousness because of the cross and, and I'll, I'll be better when I get to heaven. It's, no, it's about practically living out what he has inside us. It's the thing that helps us to overcome sin. No, we're not perfect, but we should be overcoming. I should be better tomorrow than I was yesterday. Next year, I should be better. I'm not perfect, but I should be better. God should be freeing me. I should look back. The greatest compliment that I ever had someone give me was knowing that I was such a scumbag. And that years later, as I'm ministering and meeting people, and someone looks at me and they go, you know, you're a goody-two-shoes. You've never done anything bad in your life. I've had guys say that, and I just start laughing. Because what they're seeing is such a cleanness and goodness that they don't understand that several years earlier, I was a scumbag. I was dirty. People people didn't want to believe my message when I first got saved because they knew what sort of a scumbag I was. And they were like, going, what sort of a con are you putting on us? What sort of new lie have you come up with? Because what I was saying was what they considered to be too good to be true. How can, how can some Jesus change you like this? But he did. And years later when I'm witnessing and people that don't know that old me look at me and they think that I've never done anything wrong in my life. And I laugh because what they're seeing is what I'm telling you is the power of God to change and bring righteousness and holiness into your life. No, I wasn't perfect then. I'm not perfect now. But it's in those moments that people of the world, they're seeing the righteousness of God the holiness of God. And it's in my life, not because of me, but because of the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And that comes to the relationship and intimacy that I'm growing with the Lord. Sort of in closing here, I just want to say, you know, the, the, the grace of God is the unmerited favor of empowerment to live righteously, freely given to us. It's not a whitewashing over, like a covering over us so that we can continue in sinfulness and lack of spiritual power. That's, that's not what grace is about. Grace is that favor to what? Live an empowered life. And it's the resurrection power of Christ within us by the Holy Spirit. It brings revelation. It brings abundant living. And as we, as that happens, the Word of God becomes alive and powerful in our life. The Spirit reveals the Word to us in ways that produces um, life-changing, world-changing truths to us that shake us. Galatians 1, 11 and 12 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for today, Lord. I just pray that you would reveal yourself to us, God. That you would, by your Spirit, reveal yourself. That we may know you and the power of your resurrection, God. May your Spirit empower us to follow you, to be led by you to walk in the abundant life, Lord. 
No, we may never be perfect here on this planet, God. But Lord, you should be, you should be taking us from glory to glory, God. You should be making improvements, God. You should be working in us so that on that day that we stand before you, your promise is fulfilled that we will be perfect and spotless and blameless in your sight because of the work of the cross and your work in our life. God, we thank you for your love and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope you've enjoyed this series, Chronicles of the Kingdom. If you're missing some of those lessons, you can go back and listen to those. ChristianImpact.net is the website. There's lots of different platforms that you can listen to this podcast. You can also contact us, drop us a line, let us know your thoughts. And until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.